Right, good evening. Welcome to Hope Community Church, Lower Town. Glad you're able to make it here. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, Paul always wants to cheer when somebody says that. Isn't <laughs> Hope Lower Town. Um, yeah, glad you're here. Uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, uh, pastor mainly here at this location for Hope Community Church. And um, we've been here about a year and a half now, uh, which has been great. It's been encouraging. It's been a lot of fun and, and um, uh, growing for me personally and in my family and and um, we just had our growing family we just had a little little baby boy uh, four weeks ago on Wednesday so I preached two weeks ago and I probably shouldn't have done that um, I was I don't remember what I said uh, but it's probably online if you want to go have a laugh um, and uh, but last week Pastor Drew came and gave me a, another week off and and so but I'm glad I'm, I'm back I'm gonna be here for a while and and I'm excited to, to jump right in this. And, and anybody maybe from downtown that just didn't want to fight traffic and parking uh, downtown for the Final Four thing, uh, welcome to you as well. Um, <clears throat> we, we are uh, preaching through uh, the book of First Peter. And this is uh, actually week 12 of this. And we're in the middle of kind of a, 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 an interesting section, if you will. And so uh, Pastor Core last week used this image of a mug of three reasons not to preach through First Peter. Um, and, and we're going to be handling one of those passages that are listed on there uh, tonight. Um, they're difficult, right? It's, it's submit to your authorities, whether that's the emperor, uh, go, go Nero, uh, or whether that is a slave, submit to a master. And then tonight is going to be uh, what I think some people would controversially say is, is inappropriate that wives submit to your husbands. But I hope that tonight when you read that in the scripture, you won't go, oh man, it's so archaic and it's so all these different things. I hope that you'll walk out of here uh, refreshed. And so I just want to give a quick, just a synopsis. All this is obviously our sermons are online, so uh, feel free to, to go on that and listen to all these in, in, uh, in length. Um, but I want to go back to the foundation, right? Because Peter's going to, he's going to make an argument of what is, everything is resting on this foundation of who we are in Christ and, and that we've been chosen in him and, and you are a chosen people. And even that, or the last song that we sang, uh, it says, uh, you, um, he who has at last his Israel freed from all our sin and sorrow. He uses language uh, for Israel that was specifically for Israel for the New Testament church. Uh, and, and that's what he's doing here. And this is the foundation he's laying. And he's going to move from this foundation of where and who we are positioned in Christ to now that we know that, how should we conduct ourselves uh, in our society? And so this is First Peter 2, uh, 9 through 10, probably two of my favorite verses in the entire Bible say this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then moving on from there, looking at how we are living stones in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. And, and I'm not going to, again, go into detail, but just kind of the language that we've been using uh, here is that our, as far as a church, that we are elder-led, Governance team supported that there's uh, elected people from our congregation that serve on, on both of those teams that were staff run, um, but we're member mobilized. That we can't do anything as a church if we don't have people who are actually at work and, and doing things in their homes and their communities and their neighborhoods. And, and so one thing I want to let you know, we have kind of this um, outreach group, if you will. Not outreach, that's probably the wrong word. What, did you, what are we calling it? 
outside events, okay, outside events of, of, of what can we do as a, as a church to reach this direct and this immediate community in Lower Town. And so right after the service, they're going to be meeting over at the Dark Horse, just walking distance. It's just, just one block over. If you'd like to take part of that and just say, man, here's something I'm, I'm interested in, and maybe here's a good idea and something we could do. And, and I get excited about this because this isn't my idea. Uh, this isn't me saying, hey, I, we need people to get into this. This is just people in the church saying, hey, what can we do? And I'm here to say, what can I do to help? And, uh, and, and as far as being staff and an elder. Um, and so anyways, if you have more questions about that, you can talk to Paul or Ben Jones and Emily. They're sitting down here if you don't know them. Um, anyway, so uh, moving on. Then we, we looked at uh, uh, submitting to the government and submitting to the, our authorities. And I, and I quote uh, Tyler St. Clair. I'm actually going to be hanging out with him tomorrow. Uh, he's doing a seminar downtown on a a church in hard places. But he says this, we should worship the Lamb of God, not some donkey or elephant. There's not some political party that we should be serving. We should be worshiping the Lamb of God. That is the hope of the world, not politics. And then we're looking at submission and what does it mean to submit and and that language. And and, and I've used Douglas Moo's quote here where he says, "In, in all of Paul's hierarchical structures, however, the uppermost authority, though not always mentioned, but Peter makes it explicitly clear, is God. All right, so no matter what, if, if these authorities or these people or husbands that we're going to look at, if they're saying do something contrary to what Scripture says, they say, no, our highest authority is God. And so he, he, uh, he trumps everything. I was trying to find a different word than Trump, and I couldn't come up with one. He takes the cake. All right. This week's message, in the same way, do marriage. Now he's going to shift. In the same way that we would submit and we would submit, now in the same way, we're going to do this in our marriages. So I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to really get into this. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 7. I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, it says this, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearings of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is great worth in God's sight. For this is the way that holy women in the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughter's if you do what is right and not just give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner or weaker weaker vessel and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. That is the passion. So we're going to be going tonight. Here's kind of these four points. This is where we're heading. Why was marriage created? How was marriage restored? What's the ultimate point of marriage? And then Peter's encouragement to married couples. Because again, what I just read, some of you were like, where is this even going to go, right? Um, and that's uh, it's a good question, but we're going to do this together tonight. Um, a little uh, key, and I may have said this before, and I forgive me if I have, but one thing I always do, regardless of the passage, uh, is making sure that is Jesus the hero of the story? And I don't care what's being read. We just went, what, 50-some weeks through Exodus Jesus is always going to be the hero as long as I'm preaching. And then the question that's also raised is the gospel, the answer to the problem presented. 
Is the gospel actually, the gospel of Jesus Christ setting us free from the issue that's being presented? And so even in the passage tonight, I want to lift up Jesus, and I want to point you to him, and I want you to say, let's walk and act and talk like Jesus did, even in when he submitted and what he set his preference aside. Um, a word on, on uh, singleness real quick. I know a lot of you in here are single. That's part of our uh, DNA as a church that I think last time we checked, it was we were over 51% uh, single. And, and I think even for this location, it might be higher than that. And I want you to know that, yes, I'm going to be talking a lot about marriage. But the beautiful thing about marriage is it's just a shadow. It's a shadow of the real thing that we're going to actually see someday. Um, we have these pictures in our, in our living room, these three pictures of, of uh, Europe. We went there five years ago, my wife and I did, of, of uh, Big Ben um, and uh, the Coliseum and the, and the Eiffel Tower. And, and I love these pictures, right? My wife took the pictures. They're, they're up there. I, I love them. But as much as I love that picture, it's got nothing on the real thing when you actually get there. And that's what marriage is. Marriage is simply just a, a black and white photograph of someday actually seeing what Jesus' relationship is with his church. And so that's where we're going to be at. Um, those of you who have gone through pre premarital class with me, this is basically session one. Uh, so you're going to hear it again. Uh, those of you, there's three couples in here that are about to start uh, premarital. It's okay. You'll, you'll hear it again uh, in my office. But um, I just want to let you know that's, that's kind of where we're, where we're going, okay? All right. Why was marriage created? I'm going to read a couple passages from Genesis. Just go back to the beginning and look at this account of the creation of marriage. And God said, it is not good. For, for days on end, he's been saying, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. And here he says, it is not good for the first time. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make for him a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found, right? But imagine being that, right? You're, you're, a lot of you in here are single. Are you, like, are you, I know that feeling, seeing a lot of people. Like maybe this is the one just passing on by. Nope, nope, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That's not good. And, and God notices this. And, and so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, the Lord took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he had taken out of the man and he brought uh, her to the man. And we have Adam then responding in, in song or in poetry. And he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Right? So going all the way back to the creation account, our marriage union of between one man and one wife goes all the way back to the beginning when God institutes and creates this marriage between Adam and Eve, and they become one flesh. And says Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This isn't just a physical nakedness that was true for them, but just emotionally, intellectually, just completely vulnerable with each other. There's no shame whatsoever uh, in, in their marriage. Moving on, though, says this. And the man and his wife heard this. This is after the fall. This is now after Eve uh, has eaten the fruit, and her husband, Adam, is just standing there awkwardly, like, oh, she's doing that. Oh, well, what's the big deal? 
And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden from the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman that you put here with me. He's not just blaming his wife, he's blaming God, period. The woman that that you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And skipping down to the curse for women, says this, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. And with painful labor, you will give birth to children. And this is, I used to think this was just the, the actual act of giving birth and, and, and giving labor. And listen, when it's not. And any woman, every woman in here has struggled with the curse and the fall of human condition. Can I have kids? Do I even want to have kids? If I start, if I am pregnant, is it going to be a healthy baby? And, and just worry about the whole time. And this is now, I've been two times now where I'm in the room and my wife's screaming and all, I, all I'm thinking is, Eve, you had one job, right? One, just don't eat it. That's all you got to do. But then it says this, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you that this marriage relationship now has broken and there's going to be this struggle of domination and power and subvertiveness and, and, and insults and negativity constantly happening because we want to have this shift, and that's not the way that we were created. So that's the creation. That's why marriage was created. But how is marriage restored? And as we look to Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body for which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. This is, again, just this image. Marriage is just this shadowy image of what's actually going to happen someday with the church as the bride of Christ. And it says this, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, right? This marriage picture that he's showing here in Ephesians 5 isn't one of power and struggle. It's one of submission to each other. It's laying our preferences aside for each other the same way that Jesus did for us. Why? To make her holy and cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, blemish, but holy and blameless. Do you see what happens here? By Jesus setting his preference aside, it almost sounds selfish. He says, I'm going to put my preference aside for my church so that it will be presented back to me gloriously. Husbands, set your preference aside for your wife. All right, my wife's not in here, so I can say whatever I want, right? Set your preference aside. It's so easy to go home and just, you got kids or in a golden retriever and all these things on the other side of the door, and all you want to do is pull out your phone, put your legs up. What can you do to serve? Wash dishes, change diapers, right? 
be a helper. Why? So that you can present your bride back to you beautifully. And guess it. When I set my preferences aside of like what show do I want to watch on Netflix or, or, or what do I want to cook tonight or, or whatever, Jesus died on the cross for you, right? Me setting my preference aside is nothing compared to what Jesus has done for every single one of us, that he cares for us and loves us and he set his preference aside. And when I keep saying that, I'm going back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Where he says, God, is there father, dad, is there any other way for this redemption of humanity to happen? Can, can something else happen? Can this cup please pass over me? But what does he do? He goes through with it. And he sets his preference of not suffering in a horrific way aside for you and for me. Likewise, we should do the same. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives. That's a, that's a big call. Love your wife as your own body, and he who loves his wife loves himself after all. No one ever hated his own body, but it feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we, church, are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, even though I'm talking about the real image of Jesus and the church, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And every premarital I do, we, we just talk about this, and it's kind of funny. We do this wish list, so get ready, those of you who are in here. We do this wish list where they come up. If you could change anything about your relationship, what would it be? If you could add anything or take something away, what would, what would it be? Make it up. Just wish. And, and nine times out of ten, now, now you guys have a, an in. You're like, oh, we're not going to do that. Nine times out of ten, the man has something to do with respect. You, you, we were at this party the other day, and, man, you were talking with your girlfriends, and you said this, and that really hurt. Right? It's, it's just, I mean, I'm, it happens all the time. And then the wife, or the fiance, as right, a woman, she just says, you know, I just wish you'd talk about your feelings more. Well, why? I just, I think I think you feel loved. I mean, it happens all the time. And it's right here. It's how we're wired. Love and respect. And so we do that under the gospel because Christ did that for us. Quickly, I want to go over four views of uh, men and women in marriage in the church. There are four uh, popular views, really the only views uh, that I know of, and um, kind of go where, where, where I'm at uh, as a pastor and where we are as a church. So we have a, written a paper, or the elders have, on, on this position. And so I just want to go over what these are. There's a patriarchal view also called a hierarchical view or traditional view, and that is kind of going back, like leave it to beaver kind of era, right? That men are just superior to women, right? Men do all the good, the main things, right? The finances, we get the, we get the money, we go do all that stuff. Women, you just stay inside, you take care of the kids, you wash the dishes, you just do what I tell you to do, right? That's, that's this traditional view, all right? Um, not okay, all right? And unfortunately, that, that crept into a lot of churches, right? Because of passages like what we just read, wives submit, well, there you go, submit, it's that simple. It's not the case. It's not how we were created. Another, then the opposite side of that is the evangelical feminists, they're also called radical feminism, where it's just the other way around. Now, women are superior to men, right? Um, there's books about this, right? The problem with women is men, right? That if women just control, if every president of the, of the world was a woman, right? Hey, man, wars are done. You know what I mean? Like, that, that just, that just, that's the argument, right? And again, that's, that's not what Scripture teaches 
either. Another view is the egalitarian view that just flat out would say men and women are perfectly equal, equal in dignity, value, and worth, and also their roles. Nothing is different about them. Anything I can do, you can do, period. And where we would stand at our church is a view that's called complementarianism. I know it's a big word. Um, why can't they just make up short words for that explain difficult concepts? It'd make it a lot easier in everybody. Complementarian, right? We complement one another. Right? This isn't, this isn't uh, one's better than the other, that, that we're equal in dignity and value and worth, but yet as men and women, we have different roles. We have different roles in our marriages. And that is the view that we hold at Hope we value everybody, men and women, and we say that, yes, we are wired differently, though. There's something about us being different. We have different roles that now we can complement one another as a man does with his wife and as a wife does with her husband because we are the church. We're the bride. All right, what's the ultimate point? What's this lead to? Well, Nolan read this. Revelation 21, I won't read the whole thing again, but what happened in the garden? God is walking with his people. He's walking around with them in the cool of the day. The fall happens and he leaves. And we went through Exodus and over and over this tabernacle is showing up, right? Tabernacle simply means to dwell. And God again is showing up and he's dwelling with his people all throughout that. And then in the temple and the Holy of Holies. And then Jesus finally shows up and again he walks and he dwells with his people. And then he dies and he's raised again. He ascends, ascends into heaven. And then now at the end of the days... John sees this vision and he says, I see a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Just sea in the book of Revelation is just wickedness or evil. I once heard one pastor, he's from Minnesota, he was like, lakes are great. The sea is freaky, right? It is, it is right? You don't know what's in that thing. That's freaky, man. Um, Number two, I saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And what's happening here? This is, a, this is a recreation telling of the story. That once God dwelt with his people and he left earth, now heaven is coming down back to earth. And what? It's prepared as a beautifully dressed bride for her husband. That's us. That's the church. And then he says this, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. As believers, somewhere, everything was about, I want to get out of here and go to heaven. Right? Everything's about going to heaven. That's not, what the, that's not the storyline of the Bible. The storyline is that heaven's going to come here. It's going to go back to this earth. And you will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things of death and pain and suffering has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I'm going to right all the wrongs that have ever happened on this earth. And you read things like that, and it's a, it's a word in Hebrew, Maranatha, that just means, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, make it, fix it now. But we're not there yet. We're in this broken, sinful world, and it takes struggle of relationships between men and women to work and to forgive and to love the way that Christ did. And not just married couples, but for those of us in here to each other and to people beyond these walls to set our preference aside the way Jesus did to demonstrate his love for them and for us. So 
Peter's encouragement to married couples. Let's get to the text, and, and uh, let me just read and just make a couple comments about this, and, I, and I'm going to be quoting Karen Jobes. She's a, just hands down the best commentary in First Peter, but I thought of all nights to have a woman's perspective, this might be a good one. Um, maybe that's just me, though. All right. It says this, First Peter. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to all men. No, 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 no. To your own husband. Not somebody else's husband. To your own husband. Right? Just because somebody's a man doesn't mean he can just walk all over you, ladies. Not at least not according to my Bible. That's not what it says. And then what does he do? Does he give then this long list of what it looks like to submit? No, he doesn't do that. Why? Because what he's saying here by omission is saying, figure it out amongst yourselves. All you couples in here, talk about what does this mean? What does this look like? Right? I, I've never had to tell my wife to submit. Right? That's not a thing. Right? We love each other and we care for each other. And so maybe my, way, my wife's way of submitting, might, you know, my, my grandma maybe would have you know, laughed at Angela. Or I don't know. Right? I have no idea. But we've got to figure that out among ourselves. And we've got to figure out what does this actually mean and look like to have a loving relationship. Because here it says wives in the same way. Well, guess what? In verse 7 it's going to say husbands in the same way. These are mutual things, and why? Because something's going on here with an unbelieving husband, and it's going to be the same thing that's going to be said of the husband. If your wife is unbelieving, treat her with dignity and respect and love and care for her, because by how you treat her and care for her, she might then come to Jesus. And that's exactly what's happening here with wives. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words in the, in the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So Karen says this. This is a, a two-slider here, so bear with me. Why would a wife's conversion likely provoke antagonism from her husband? In Greco-Roman society, it was expected that the wife would have no friends of her own and would worship the gods of her husband. That's Plutarch, so just an old, really, really old dead guy. If this explanation is applied to a Christian wife, then it might result in trouble for several reasons. First, the very fact that a woman would not adopt a religion other than her husband's violated the Greco-Roman idea of an orderly home. All right, they had these home codes that were written of this is how to conduct ourselves as a society. All right, they had these home rules and, and home codes that they all followed. And this, what, what Peter's saying, is going to subvert that because we're supposed to worship Jesus even if our spouse doesn't or somebody's telling us not to. Second, the husband and society would perceive that the wife's worship of Jesus Christ as rebellion, especially if she worshiped Christ exclusively. If the wife uh, persisted in her new religion to the extent that the others outside of the household learned of it, the husband would also feel embarrassment and suffer criticism for not properly managing his household, according to the old code, which Peter's directly going against. This could seriously damage his social standings, even to the point of disqualifying him from certain honors and offices. Third, the wife's attendance at Christian worship would provide an opportunity for her to have fellowship with other Christians who possibly were not her husband's friends. Depending on the specifics of the social expectations, a wife's conversion to Christ could potentially have far-reaching implications for her husband and family. That's why Peter's saying all these things. This, this was a big deal. And society has changed, so what does it look like to continue to do this? 
says this, that your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. I always think of like someone from the 80s, just in my mind. That's just what I see, elaborate hairstyles, a can of hairspray in there. Um, uh, Verse 4, rather it should be that of your own inner self, an unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Again, Karen says this, in light of these common attitudes, uh, again, of going against the home codes of women just need to be quiet, not talk in society. In light of those common attitudes, Peter's instructions against outward adornment make sense if a Christian wife is attending Christian worship outside of her home, and especially if she is doing it without her husband. Society would perceive, uh, because to get all dressed up and to, and to look pretty and, and, and all those different things, is to say, hey, look at me, I'm available. And so what Peter's saying is, don't, don't do that. Don't draw attention to yourself. Just quietly go to this place of, of worship. They would perceive uh, uh, that act alone as questionable. Well, by leaving her home unadorned, her intent to attend worship and not a tryst, I had to Google that one, that is a romantic rendezvous with a lover, uh, would presumably be all the more clear. All right, so this isn't women, man, you just look dim and drab and don't take care of yourselves and love Jesus and submit to your husbands. No, this is a way to say, care for your husband, love him in a way that it's not going to cause him dishonor when you go to church. That's what Peter's saying here. Finally, for this is the way that holy women of the past who would put their hope in God and used to adorn themselves, they submitted themselves to their own husbands. Again, there's that word like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Uh, in this, there's a lot of different controversy on because on, Peter just kind of randomly just says Sarah who obeyed Abraham, but there's also instances where Abraham obeys Sarah. So it gets a little confusing of where is what is he talking about? And, and again, last quote, Karen says this, and I really appreciate this. Peter instructs Christian women who may have been familiar with the Greek role models um, to look instead to the founding first lady of God's covenant people in the tradition that they now embrace as their own, right? That we now are freed Israel. By virtue of being born again into the living hope of the gospel, Sarah has become their spiritual ancestor. In Christian thinking, that motivates wifely behavior, and the Greek moral philosophers are now to be replaced with the writings of Yahweh's prophets. This is another way Peter subtly subverts Greco-Roman culture. And then finally, it says this, husbands, in the same way. And if we think, especially with that Ephesians 5 passage of what it means to serve and to set my preference aside and to love, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker vessel or as a, as a china cup, this special possession that's fragile. And not to say they're intellectually fragile, they're emotionally fragile. And anytime somebody, ladies, uh, tells you, oh man, you're just really emotional, right? Tell them to turn on a football game of, with full of men and tell me that men aren't emotional, all right? Because we can lose it over a touchdown, all right? But we're different. And I think that's where this complementarian thing comes in to say that my wife physically is not as strong as me. And there are guys in here who have never lifted a weight in their life who are stronger than the average woman. It's just the way we've been designed in biology. And so we respect them and we treat them. And so when we as men 
Look at these individuals that we care for them. We take care of them and we want to help them around the house, not just let them do all the work. And as heirs with you, right? They're heirs with you. They're, they're equal with you in this gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. That's a scary phrase. As a husband, to say, man, there's something I might be doing or treating and acting towards my wife where God's just like, no, no, no. I'm, not even, I'm done with you until you fix that. That's kind of a, kind of a sobering thought. So last thing, just as gospel application, is this. Do you set your preferences aside for others? And I know there's a lot of marriage talk and a lot of verses on marriage, but I'm asking you, do you set your preferences aside for others the way that Jesus set his preference aside for you? He said, I'm not just going to run away. I'm not just going to flee this death. I'm going to die so that you can have life. And so now we get to set our preference aside. Of say, man, I don't... I don't I know they're doing this outreach thing. You know, I'd rather just watch the game. I, I don't know. We, we'll, we'll do our best to not schedule anything during the game, unless we're volunteering at a game. I mean, that's a thing too. Just set your preference aside, right? So what can I do? What can I do to serve the body? How can we be member mobilized in this church and in this congregation, in this city? That's my question for you tonight. As we do every week, we're gonna have communion and we're gonna look at the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was spilled for you the blood of Christ that Jesus set his preference aside to be spilt so that we could come into a place like this and lift up our voices and worship and be cleansed from sin and suffering of death after. And the bread, which represents the body of Christ, which was broken for you. We do have a, a gluten-free option on the left side here, if you need that. All we'd ask as a church is that you would just be a follower of Jesus. You say, man, I, I, this is all new to me. I didn't, I didn't realize Jesus even did all that for me. That This can be your first time of communion. To say, Jesus, I want in. I want to be part of that. I want to I worship a God who takes on flesh and dies for me. I want that. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then, then please come forward. Take, break the bread and, and uh, drink the, the juice uh, together as that spiritual house that has been built up together in Christ. Will you bow your head with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for these passages. Thank you that as we read them and with our, our uh, good, I think, societal lenses on that say, ah, that doesn't seem right the way I'm reading that, that we would go back and we would look at, at the cause, the reason for some of these things and and realize that you are a God of grace and mercy and compassion. <coughs> that Peter doesn't just ignore people who are uh, slaves or, or uh, in a position of no authority, that he addresses them. And even in a society where, where, where women and wives were not in any position of power and authority, that this letter is written to the wives, not just their husbands. So God, I just thank you for that. And I thank you for the lessons that we can learn, each and every one of us, to set our preference aside the way that Christ did for us and that you would receive now the honor and the glory and the praise that is due your name because you are good and you are just and you are merciful to all of us to partake in this gift of life that we can be co-heirs together uh, in eternity with you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.